This podcast is sponsored by Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Biblically grounded, pastorally focused, and confessionally faithful. Hear more at the conclusion of today's program. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. He that endures to the end. May your last years be your best years. Keep studying. Keep reading. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master and I'm joined as always with my friend and co-host James Dalzell. James, how are you? I'm doing well, Jonathan. Glad to be here. Looking forward to our conversation this morning. This is one that we have been looking forward to for a while and talking about. We're, we're delighted to welcome a, a man who is, in, in many respects, just someone we both admire greatly, um, uh, Pastor Jeff Thomas. He was pastor for many, many years in, in Wales. He's currently speaking to us from his home in London, and he's just written a book, a kind of autobiography or memoir called In the Shadow of the Rock. So we're here to talk about that book. Mr. Thomas, thank you for joining us. I'm honored that you invited me. Well, we're honored that you were willing to give us some of your time. And I want to talk about some features of the book. It was just a delightful read. We commend it to all our listeners, but there were some things that struck me about it that I wondered if you could speak about just just a little bit. I I wanted to begin with the situation in in Wales from from the perspective of of Christianity as you were growing up. You speak a lot about your growing up years, your time in school, your your conversion. What was the general, I I'll say, Christian tone and tenor of of the Wales of your early years? Well, the ethic was valued. Um, It was valued by the media, um, the British Broadcasting Corporation. It was uh, valued by um, most newspapers and particularly by the uh, Education Act of the late 1940s that insisted on uh, the services of the day beginning with an act of of worship. Um, Sunday was unique and set apart from the other days of the week. The legacy, the momentum of an earlier grace was uh, still present in the ethics of society. And uh, then um, the theology had Uh, greatly weakened. The theology of confessional Christianity of the 39 Articles and the Westminster and the uh, Baptist Confessions of Faith, the 1823 Confession of the Presbyterians in Wales, a great document. That theology had, since the downgrade that Spurgeon saw in London, in the 1880s, that had especially come to Wales because Wales had an inferiority complex, a little country dominated by its English neighbor. And we weren't going to go behind and be the country yokels. Uh, What 
they were believing, what they were teaching, their stress on education, we would also stress. And so there was an embrace of uh, German theology. Um, it affected the philosophy departments, and then it affected then the science uh, departments. It affected the upper class, the Bloomsbury set, and then the middle classes, uh, and then it affected the working classes, and it was there through popular media. And by the time the 1960s came, um, popular culture was uh, now dominated by whatever pleases men and women, men and women doing what was right in their own eyes. The problem of the, of the judges, that problem entered Wales and um, the pulpits were affected and then the ministry of leadership in the church was affected and then finally the pews were affected and there was this steady decline. So that 1907 was the top year for congregational membership and every year since 1907, 114, 115 years, every year there's a decline, every year churches close. So my boyhood was governed by the morality and for the next uh, 70 years, 80 years, the um, decline has been very evident. I wonder if you could speak to how this affected your own church experience as a, as a boy uh, in the churches uh, that you may have attended. Did you hear that downgrade version or uh did you hear the gospel uh as a child and and maybe you could speak to your response to that the pattern was of um a, a lot of evangelical evangelistic work done by uh camps and um by christian endeavor uh, a, a, a broadly evangelical organization and influence that asked people to make a decision about Jesus Christ. And because of the blessedness of my mother's influence, I was very earnest and sincere about these things, but untrained and untaught. The young man who became the pastor in my local Baptist church was a man whose mother had been converted in the last great revival in Wales in 1904, and she prayed for Malcolm, and she longed that he would become a preacher of the gospel. And so in his early years, before he began to study at the local Baptist seminary, he was preaching for a response. And one Sunday night, as I heard him preach, an assurance was given to me that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his life and by his death, had achieved the righteousness and made a propitiation so that my sins were covered and I could call God my Father and my Savior. And so I professed faith that night. I was baptized a month later and took communion then um, a few weeks after that. That was my own 
response. But this man then went on to study and, well, he became a universalist and uh, he became a, a sacerdotal universalist that you had graced by attendance at church and taking, taking the, the bread and wine. And he completely lost his way. That was my observation. But I was so glad that a, a boy in school gave me Packer's Fundamentalism and the Word of God. It was the first Christian book I read in uh, 1957 and 58. And, ah, I can believe the Bible. I can trust the Bible. It was an enormous step forward. So before I went to do philosophy, biblical studies, Hebrew at the university in Cardiff, I was sure of this. And that kept me during those years. One of the features that is is so exceptional about your life and even this uh, record of your life is the long-term ministry you had in one place. And there are so many little vignettes in the book about the city of Aberystwyth and, and the, the church. And I wonder if you could speak to some of our listeners about the value of long-term pastoral ministry. I think the average I read recently, at least in the United States, is pastors stay something like three and a half or four years in a, in a, in a charge on, on average. Yeah, the, the dangers of that is for the first year they're there, they, they preach all their best messages. <laughs> and then the second year they are there, they, they, they half-heartedly uh, try to, to change some things. And then the third year, they are candidating in other churches. It's a, it's a dreadful pattern. Um, and so I think it's a rare ministry that lasted 50 years, as I did. And I've often thought I overstayed my time. But um, I never had... I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that of you, <laughs> just, just, just <laughs> reassure you. I... Um, but I never had a call. Uh, uh, and every year the church was saying to me, preach the word of God to us. And that is the majority. There were restless people, of course, as there are in every congregation. But I, I had this core of leaders who protected me and encouraged me and appreciated me. And I had this wonderful series of students uh, that came and uh, are still busy in in Christian work um, now. Um, Forty seven of them who sat at some time of their lives at key times of decision making, uh, they went into the ministry and they are nearly all of them faithfully preaching the word of God still today. So that that that's the most encouraging um, aspect, and so. Uh, you can, if you stay a long time, you can preach all of Scripture. You know the Lord Jesus, when he speaks to the clear person, his companion, he opens up in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. All the Scriptures are, are full of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an enormous challenge then to um, to to preach from Genesis to Malachi, as well as from Matthew to Revelation, and, and see Jesus in it all. 
I was struck by that list that you included at the near the end of the book about the number of men who have had entered into uh, pastoral ministry yeah. after after yeah. sitting under your your yeah. preaching for those yeah. years. That was a that was a striking yeah. striking list. It must have brought great joy to you to to, <laughs> to keep track of that. It was. I I thought oh there must be twenty, and then. Uh, you know, I'm probably left somehow. I'm, I'm horribly embarrassed if I have. But um, yeah, I'm very thankful to God that I had that time and that I'm in contact with many, many of them still today. Do you have any advice for younger ministers who are who are beginning? Uh, perhaps they've just finished their studies or they're they're even maybe in the midst of seminary. This is something that's always on my mind yeah. looking back. Uh, are, are there things you'd like to say to them? Oh, I would very much. I would very much like to say to them, use Lloyd-Jones as an example for consecutive biblical preaching. That, that, that's wonderful. Use Spurgeon as an example of someone who finds the great big texts of Scripture from Isaiah and from the Psalms, from the minor prophets, and cut your teeth and shape your theology by learning the great text, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and, and there is none else. Um, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knoweth them that uh, trust in him. Two of the Old Testament uh, great verses, and there are hundreds like them. Job has them. Um, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in latter days he shall stand upon the earth, though worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I myself will see him. Um, oh, please don't neglect those great verses that people know and people love. And then if you're introducing to a congregation um, some consecutive biblical preaching to a congregation that isn't used to it, do it gently. Um, do a short series on the Beatitudes, a short series on the life of Elijah. Um, choose the first chapter, you know, the first chapter of John's first letter or the letter to the Galatians, the letter to the Thessalonians, they are wonderfully succinct, and you can do six or seven messages and then encourage them to read a paperback commentary on the um, next chapters. It's tough going as a young minister, and it's tough for a congregation to follow you. But those early chapters are a gift to you. And it is the same then in uh, uh, the, uh, the Gospels to the opening chapters. Uh, of the Gospels are wonderful. And if the congregation like it and they have a desire for it, they, they'll, they'll want it. And you'll grow in your ability in proclamation by um, the encouragement that these very preachy parts of Scripture display. I have heard you say in other contexts that you wish you had spent the evening service doing that uh, in the early parts yeah. of your ministry as a kind of corollary yeah. to the consecu ordinary yeah. consecutive. 
I wonder, yeah. uh, but that does seem like a, it seems that you would have to have a grasp of the message of the scriptures to, to do a, a single text like that and really have it. I, I'm thinking here of just yes. knowing, knowing even our English Bible well, uh, as yeah. ministers. Yes, I would, um, I would urge you to read everything Ian Murray has written. Uh, read Redemption Accomplished and Applied and some of the other works of Professor John Murray, um, Sinclair Ferguson. Um, listen to some of the uh, preachers on the radio. You have Alistair Begg and you have uh, John MacArthur. Um, you have some fine proponents of the gospel and you need to have a number of role models. You know, it's very easy just to have one, just to have Lloyd-Jones. Now, Lloyd-Jones never visited. He, he thought it was impossible to visit a large congregation in London. That would have eaten up so much time, not for resulting value. He was there in the church and he had these sessions afterwards, anyone could come to him, and they certainly did. But um, if you choose Lloyd-Jones, you will pick up that inadequacy of pastoral visitation, but you'll get it from someone else. You must have a range of men. Uh, men from history, yes, that would be very important, and some of the historical books of men of the 19th and 20th century, you would, you would have that. I think the best chapter in my, um, my biography is the uh, chapter in which I seize on the year 1981 and choose extracts from my journal of what I did through the year. I hadn't gone to it until I picked that one and looked at what I said and found some of the examples of my my pastoring there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wish I had an opportunity as a younger man to be an assistant to um, a mature and experienced man of God instead of this jump from the egghead world of Cardiff University and Westminster Seminary straight into a church. I was used to speaking to fellows my own age um, and speak about theology to them, but the, the mixture I had of the common folk. Um, so my mother would listen to me and she would say to me at times, well, we all understood you today. So I knew I was letting her down. She couldn't understand. My mother, who wanted to understand me, let alone those who grumbled because they were, they showed a few marks of being regenerate. So you must work on these things yourself. You mentioned the chapter about, about your diary, um, and, and I found that very useful. I, I, I think I'm going to recommend that to students because it, it, it does give a snapshot of uh, what ministry looks like in a in the variety of, of things that the Lord brought into your life, both encouraging and some discouragements as well. 
But I wonder if if we could we we're we're nearly out of time. But I did want to talk to you briefly about influences. You've mentioned a few. You've mentioned Ian Murray's books and Banner of Truth, and you and you write about that. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, Martin Lloyd Jones yeah. as well. And I'm wondering as you survey the ground that the Lord led you to walk, which of those names or books stand out as particularly formative in your development as a as a as a minister of the gospel. Well, J.C. Ryle, I borrowed from the local library when I was still in school and read Holiness. And that was concrete and visible in a life, what holy living was all about. And so all of Ryle's works then have that same lucidity and uh, an appeal to the affections uh, as well as exegetically confirming what he said by a, an appeal to the word of God. And, and then Lloyd-Jones' studies in the Sermon on the Mount was a, a display of the beauty of a righteous life. I thought there was nothing like it, and there was no preaching that could present it like he could. And, uh, and then, um, historically, my heroes uh, were Luther and, and Bunyan, and then uh, Whitfield in the next century, and then Spurgeon and his life in the century that followed. And then really the influence that men of my age and my, my generation, the uh, godly 20-year-olds um, in intervarsity and uh, then who were at, at Westminster Seminary, some of them outstanding men, um, just to have uh, people I could communicate with and talk with and do things together with, go skating with them, for example. And yet we could, um, we could dream about our futures together and the influences that had helped us and what we wanted to do with our lives, to give our lives to God. And then there were a succession of men. There were some Scotsmen, Douglas Macmillan, Donald MacLeod, um, Ian D. Campbell, that I esteemed so very highly. And uh, John Murray, uh, the doyen of them to us all. And th there were a group of, of ministers in Wales, the Calvinistic Methodists, the Presbyterians in Wales particularly, who were kind to me and invited me to their homes and then invited me to their pulpits and encouraged me and those younger men that would be unknown to you were uh, my heroes, my McShanes. Um, so um, that, would, that would be the kind of influence that uh, I treasured and um, and now I look back, I've got a pastor who's a wonderful pastor to me, uh, Gerard Hemmings, and my son-in-law, whom one of you has met, uh, Gary Brady. I have the highest admiration for him, and he has pastored a church here in London 40 years next year, and, and he is a, another role model to me that says to me, don't give up, keep going keep going. 
he that endures to the end. May your last years be your best years. Keep studying, keep reading. Keep preaching while you have a breath in your body. Show men the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to attract them to him. And you know, Lloyd-Jones says, as you do your daily reading, you come across um, a verse that will stick out and you think about it. And we were reading together from the book of Psalms this morning and we came to a particular verse that I thought, oh, I must think about that. I must make some notes about that. Um, and um, a phrase in it, that those who love the Lord hate evil. I wondered, oh, oh how can I preach that now? And so you, you keep your preaching juices flowing. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better note on which to end this brief conversation. Thank you again so much for giving us your time. And and thank you. I know from the introduction and from the, the conclusion of the book that you had misgivings about writing this, but I, I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord that you did. And um, I, I benefited from it immensely. And I, and I think others will as well. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I do. I am glad to hear that. Well, James, Jeff Thomas is one of those just delightful figures. Um, he, and, and really is, I, I hesitated to use this word during the interview because I knew that he would a recoil at it, but, but really a, a hero to, to many of us who've seen him from afar. I, I, I can't claim to know him very well, but um, having sat under his ministry at various points, uh, it just, what an admirable figure. Yeah, I agree. And maybe, maybe some of our listeners aren't as familiar uh, with Jeff Thomas's work because he would think of himself uh, primarily as a preacher and a pastor. And that is really his legacy is uh, a faithful ministry in one place for a long time. And part of that legacy is so many, so many professors and pastors that have come out from under his ministry that maybe sat under him during university days. But I was, I was struck by his, some of his reminiscence of early days, things he might have done differently, and even even his uh, encouragement to supplement the consecutive exposition with some topical. Uh, you, you know how it is, Jonathan. You you wait and wait and wait for years to get to, as he called them, the big texts, uh, and to maybe take the opportunity to go and exposit uh, in a single sermon or short sermon series some of those really really uh, memorable and outstanding pieces of the scripture. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good um, reminder. And, and the book is full of those kinds of things because he's a, a humble and reflective man. And so he, he, as I alluded to at the end, he goes into great detail about how uh, writing a book like this could be an exercise in pride. And he's, you know, trying to avoid that as best he can. And, and even looking back on his own practices and saying, you know, there might've been some things I should have done differently. And it's, um, it, it really is a very refreshing and honest uh, assessment with a great deal of wisdom. So we'd commend it to our listeners. And the book again is called In the Shadow of the Rock by Jeffrey Thomas. It's published by our friends at RHB. If you would like to enter to potentially win a copy. We have a couple of these to give away, a copy of this book. 
you can do so at placefortruth.org. Click on the Theology on the Go link. There's a little area there for you to enter your information in the shadow of the rock. This would be a great book for um, someone who maybe isn't always interested in reading uh, theological, detailed theological treatises. It's a biographical sort of memoir and, um, and again, full of, of great wisdom. Uh, so In the Shadow of the Rock by Jeffrey Thomas. Also, if you're able to donate to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, we depend on your donations to do things like this. And so you can do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. Both of those websites have a donate button. Also, please spread the word. If there are friends of yours who you think might benefit from some of our conversations on Theology on the Go, please pass that along. If you can rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you're downloading this from, that helps us as well. So if you could take a minute to do that, we would appreciate it. And again, thank you as always for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hello, I'm Jonathan Master, president of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. When I look back at what first drew me to the Alliance, it was Dr. Boyce speaking about the great need for reformation and a return to historic Reformed confessions, biblical preaching, and thoughtful worship. Given the changes in our culture since then, that need is even greater today. The church today needs bold proclamation of sound doctrine, clear teaching of the Bible, and worship that is God-honoring and full of reverence and joy. At Greenville Seminary, we aim to meet this need by equipping men for pastoral ministry, men who are courageously committed to the truth, who are Christ-like in their character, committed to prayer, and called to be ministers of God's Word in local churches. If you're interested in learning more about Greenville Seminary, either as a prospective student or as an interested friend, visit us at gpts.edu. Greenville Seminary, biblically grounded, pastorally focused, and confessionally faithful.